What's up, everybody? Welcome to Season 2 of the Trumpet Summit. My name is John Raymond. I'm your host. And I'm really excited to be back sharing a bunch of conversations with you all that I've been able to have with some master jazz trumpet players where we're just talking shop, trying to get inside of their process, how they think about the instrument, how they deal with the music. And I can't wait to share these conversations and all this inspiration with you guys this season. If you haven't already, please go ahead and subscribe to the podcast wherever you're checking it out. That way you'll get the next episode right when it comes out every couple weeks. And also, if you listen to it on Apple Podcasts, I'd appreciate if you leave a little review as well. That'll help more people check out the podcast who might be interested in it. Okay, so first up in Season 2, we're talking with somebody who was one of only four trumpet players to play in both Art Blakey and Horace Silver's bands. Do you know who those four are? There was Donald Byrd, Woody Shaw, Randy Brecker, and the great Brian Lynch. Brian has played with everybody from Phil Woods to Benny Golson to Eddie Palmieri and many more. He's released over 15 records as a leader, and in my opinion, he's also one of the heaviest teachers out there. He's currently at the Frost School of Music at the University of Miami. And we nerded out on a bunch of trumpet and improvisation-related stuff that I know you guys are going to really enjoy. He also told some incredible stories about playing with both Art Blakey and Horace Silver, And he also talked about a bunch of things he works on with his students, which in my opinion was absolute gold. So without further ado, here's the great Brian Lynch. Yo, have you guys heard? We've got brand new Trumpet Summit t-shirts in the house, all right? I got a little excited and I had a very limited run of tees printed specifically for this season of the podcast featuring a rebrand of the Trumpet Summit logo done by my good friend Jamie Brevik at B-Side Graphics. The design is killing. The t-shirts are super comfy. And, you know, there aren't any sponsors for this podcast. So if you're into it and you want to support what's going on and get something cool out of it, this is a great way to do so. So you can get one by going to my website, john-raymond.com slash store. And you can find the Trumpet Summit tees there, sizes small, all the way to double X. And it'd be a great way for you to support what's going on. Another way you can support the podcast is by picking up a PDF or a hard copy of my book, The Jazz Trumpet Routine, which is essentially a fundamentals book geared towards creative improvisers. Okay, It's designed to help you rethink how to go about practicing and approaching fundamentals from the perspective of a jazz trumpet player. It's designed for players of all ages and all ability levels. And the best part is that it comes with call and response style play along recordings for every single exercise. So grab a tea or pick up a copy of the book. Thank you for helping make this podcast happen. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for making the time to do this. Oh, um, no, my pleasure. It's been been a long time coming, actually. Right. You know, man, I remember, I don't know if you remember this, but years ago i took a lesson from you when you were teaching at nyu and i remember coming away from that lesson uh one feeling like it was really helpful for me and i think why i felt it was really helpful was because i you were giving me a couple specific exercises like i remember you showed me this bebop scale exercise that descends via the scale and then it kind of goes up with the arpeggio to the next and kind of like encircles the next chord tone right comes down again 
Right. Is that something you came up with? Or no, did, that's, did Bar- that's that Barry Harris. I'm, you know, you know, but I mean, it's Barry Harris and, and some of it's also, um, a little bit, a little bit of Lonnie Hillier is in there, you know, you know, Lonnie being the trumpet player who was, who was one of the, the, um, you know, kind of proteges, if you will, of Barry, uh, you know, him and Charles McPherson both, both played with Barry together and then they went on to play with Mingus's band together. And he, hmm. you know, when, you know, I posted in uh, Facebook after Barry passed uh, about all the different times that he changed my life. And definitely one, one was when I first walked into Charles Collins studios and, and took, took a class, the first of many classes with him and, got hip to this whole, you know, the way that he taught the taught that concept with the dominant scales and stuff. And and through that, well, I had the also had the opportunity to be mentored and play with Charles McPherson when I lived in San Diego before I moved out to to New York. And and Charles said, well if you want to look, know Barry's stuff, get with Lonnie. Lonnie no, Lonnie could teach Barry's stuff better than Barry can, which I'm not sure if that's quite true. But but he was but 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 Lonnie Hillier turned out to be an extremely well organized you know ex- expositor of 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 Barry's system with a number of things of his own definitely along the same lines in terms of of using using you know real music you know the you know the music of Charlie Parker Dizzy Gillespie you know and so and Bud Powell and so on Fats Navarro in in order to impart improvisational concepts in, in in a generalized sense so in other mm-hmm. words things that you could practice you know so that was mm-hmm. like really wow that's just like i did up to that point up to the point that 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 i went i walked into that class with barry i i hadn't quite realized that you know i was teaching myself really you know in in a lot of senses i mean sure you had teachers that would tell you about about things and there'd be patterns and you you know and you'd start and I was taking things off of records but in terms of a, of a systematic approach to getting from point A to point B that had a lot, that has a lot of flexibility into it and also finite things that you could actually practice and learn a flexible sort of execution so I think I mean I think that's the kind of thing that you talk about in your own book about about trying to gain a certain sort of technique that has that has inherent flexibility and an ability to kind of turn on a dime and be spontaneous embedded in it and 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 I really found that in 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 Barry's you know Barry's system if you will hmm. so up to that point how had you been getting your stuff together you were saying like taking things from records but you didn't have a, a formal jazz teacher at that point. Um, well, I mean, I was studying. I was I was studying the you know the music. I was in school. You know, I actually can't come from a, one of the early generations. I think of 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 people who got actually degrees in jazz performance because I you know I went to a small school in my hometown of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, called the Wisconsin Conservatory of Music, which is still around. And I think you know a little bit about that about that tradition yeah. there. And, uh, and during the time I went there, it, it was, I think, quite a dynamic, a great program. And, um, you know, one thing I always have to have to remark upon it, like, is, you know, it was a it was a program that was led by um, cr- 
curriculum devised by and and all the major teachers were African American, were black in that in in that in that school, and um, you know with a multiracial you know um, student group, all people from diverse walks of life, um, you know, and um, you know under the tutelage of 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 our mentors, you know, which were the you know basically culled from the very fine pool of players that were in town at that time. Um, hmm. And still, and some are still around. Um, but, I can't imagine you know, that at that point there were that many schools like that. I don't think there was any school like that. Um, you know, and, and it's amazing. And maybe it's because it's a small one, you know, there was a certain period of time where people were really open towards moving forward to, to not just, um, not just like admitting jazz and in, into, into the, the the conservatory, but trying they wouldn't they wouldn't they wouldn't try to over they were willing that it could be academicized if you will like on its own terms. And I think that I think I think presaging maybe the way that it's taught in practice in a lot of places today, but but uh, definitely it was very special for its time, you know. Like what was the curriculum like? What was what were the, some of the things that you were working on? Well, we had then? we had we you know we had very solid traditional music training in in, in especially in um, in musicianship, oral skills, and things like that. You know, you know, um, stu- all students went through, you know, the um, the sight singing and, and oral recognition, um, you know, using methods like the Kodai method and also the Hindemith elementary training for musicians, which is like an utterly fantastic book, which I could, I could get going to a whole thing about how many jazz musicians that were, did not go to music schools, you know, like, especially those from the generations before me, like assembled really Un, utterly unbelievable set of music skills by studying books like that and, and self-study, you know, like reading it, all the movable clefts, being able to sight sing, ta- you know, you know, do dictation, tap, clap, conduct, sing at the same time, all those kind of things. The, everybody was doing that. And, and we had very good theory teachers also, um, you know, so we studied we studied the so-called legit stuff, but then we had, we had jazz theory. We had, um, uh, very, you know, from a very practical and solid basis. Also, you know, the, the, the horns were always out and there was a separate, um, a separate class where you would just put the theory into action, so to speak. You know, um, I got great functional piano skills there, um, through, through a couple of teachers. One, one teacher whose name was Martha Artis was a local piano, kind of, you know, a singing pianist who was very, very revered in Milwaukee. And she, she taught basic piano skills in a really, just a really great way. I was being trained really well, but also in a very practical and also in a very, you know, in a very, very sort of organic kind of way. It didn't seem like anything was removed from practice. I mean, so, so the whole idea really is like, you know, play, Play in a play in a play in a we call them combos back there you know not not back then not ensembles play in a combo the teacher likes you're playing you're on a gig with him you know so you know and and there were gigs and 
and you know some of the some of the finest young jazz musicians in 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 Milwaukee at that time all partook of that. Not myself, um, um, David Hazeltine was a part of all that. Um, mm-hmm. Really fine bass player who passed away recently, Jeff Chambers. Um, some other musicians that are not as well known. Um, a keyboardist named Mar- Marcus Robinson, who's also passed on. Charlie S- Charles Small, great guitarist who lives out in L.A., has been playing with uh, Barbara Morrison for many years, among other people. Mm. And um, you know, it was um, there was there was never any there was never any controversy about the aesthetics that was going on in this program. But there was but but then a lot of room for a lot of different kinds of things. You know, so it was really that's super cool. You know, wow. and and Tony King, who is the the um, um, director of this program, really had a vision, I think, about how the music had a social mission, and and I and he he imbued he definitely imbued me with that from a very early point. Though I though I think I always had a predilection towards that that sort of thing. It's it's part mm. of what draw drew me to the music in the first place. But he he actuated it. I mean, I didn't just, you know, you know, study the music that I heard. I also read the books that I saw on his bookshelf, you know. And mm. you know, and and Listen very carefully to what all my teachers were saying, not just about music, but about life. So I thought I feel like I was trained very well at that school. Hmm. Yeah. That's know. really cool. Yeah. So getting back to Barry Harris for a second, because uh, I saw that post that you made about him, and it made me want to ask you about that because, like a a fool, I never went to any of those classes in New York. I should have, and I kick myself for it now. And I've been doing some some homework lately since he passed thinking about and, you know, researching everything I can online. I've been talking to folks here at Indiana about what was Barry like, uh, what was his relationship with David Baker? What, you know, and I, we've been getting into some really cool conversations, but I'm wondering for you, like if you could just talk more about what you got out of those classes with him, what like you practically, came away working on or or anything like that well well again again so the first the first time i walked into the class he was teaching the scales and 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 i I still have all the handouts right you know 40 years later um or more than 40 years later and and it was it was was mostly a lot of different versions of how you could do the downward scales right the dominance you know and um and so so then after that, um, so I started practicing those, right? You know, um, and I and it was early, so I don't think people were playing quite as much at that time. That was at Charles at Charles Collins Studios and on Fifty Third or Fifty Fourth, wherever that was. So that's really early. It was before the Jazz Cultural Theater started, which was his mm. his place that he had in the eighties. Um, so you know. But when, when I got with, when I got with Lonnie, after I moved to New York, he had a lot of things really systematized. So, so he had, you know, in other words, there, there are the the so-called rules, right? You know, for for the, and I think the rules are are often really uh, affixed to 
to the dominant to the dominant scale concept because there because there's a whole bunch of other stuff too right you know like the you know the diminished major and the diminished minor and 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 so on yeah. you know you know all these all these different all these different scales that have the passing the passing tones or they have the added tone in, in it in, in the case of the major diminished and the minor diminished um yeah. so so you know I think the first thing was just get the concept is why oh this is why I always go shabadobiabop right you know it's like like it's 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 that it's that note is filling space and that note mm. is making the making the, making the chord tones come out in the right place so you could keep the thing going and so and so on and so forth so then th- then Lonnie had a lot of things like like worked out to amplify that and he also had a had a he would also use different tunes as different studies about exemplifying different aspects of the language like like little willie leaps which he called a study in flat and ninths right you know Mm. or 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 bird tunes like mohawk or dexterity a lot of the same things that i'd been playing with with charles's band you know and i think and i think Hanging out with Charles and listening to a lot of Bud Powell and Sonny Rollins and you know things like the Eternal Triangle and you know Stitt and all those kind of things and and mm-hmm. kind of just getting into the way that he thought about music was was you know it was it was like a continuous thing that kind of drew me into to you know to to just being more and more aware of 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 really being able to play bebop you know i mean i started out like with you know almost like almost like more like avant-garde player or something and then Mm. and then i and then i you know then it was like woody shaw and charles tolliver and along with all the other great trumpet players and stuff but um but as i went along you know so i went along i think and I think really listening to Cedar and Clifford Jordan together and those live at Boomer's records or, or records like mm-hmm. Glass Bead Games really was a re- was revelatory to me. Maybe just in in how good that music could sound in a contemporary context. So in other words, in other words, bebop is not just something on a on a Savoy record that's where the fidelity is not so good. You know, even if it is Fast Navarro and Dexter Gordon and Bud Powell playing. You know, it's it's like you know it's it it sounds like now. You know, and, mm. and 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 the same thing when I started hearing guys like McPherson and Stitt and you know others playing live. You know, you know, you know, as you, as you know, the Midwest is very, very a big keeper of the flame for that kind of music and always has been. You know, mm-hmm. even to this day. So yeah. so um, yeah. So so Lonnie Lonnie had more and, and definitely definitely influenced influence the, the idea is that you could you could use this you could use this like you you could practice this stuff in an overall way and not just get your changes together but get your get your chops together you know mm. and 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 you know and you start correlating this with other stuff is you know like like I would I would really start correlating that kind of playing with the, say the way Freddie Hubbard plays or like Freddie, you know, the Freddie Hubbard was playing on records like Interplay, for instance, sure. or yeah. I used to love this record, uh, this Ronnie Matthews record called Doing the Thing. It's a prestige record from I think around 63 with with uh, Freddie, Charles Davis Jr., Tootie Heath, S- super record, you know, and Freddie plays so 
fluently and you know you know and he's playing those scales and of course he of course he's doing some different things with them you know mm. but but it's but it's definitely coming coming out of that uh, that concept and the idea that you know the idea that you want to perfect your line but you also don't want to just you know be cookie cutter about it it's like you know that 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 you can find these ways always to come out in the right place whether you know whether you're going or not that's mm-hmm. that's kind of the thing right yeah yeah that's really good i i wouldn't have thought of saying it like that but when i think of your playing that's what i think of like i think of it being really strong fluid uh but not cookie cutter like you said like it it can go in so many different directions at any time and you're always rooted in the harmony you're always rooted in the tune oh don't get me wrong i mean i'm not i'm not doctrinaire about that kind of thing i would i think that's where that's where i mean i really appreciate bear i really appreciated barry's like like sort of you know very intransigent sort of like you know thing about what he would what he would consider to be music and what would what would what would not be music so to speak though though then again you can see you can see the wheels turning and and and, and then him him reconsidering certain things and i think there's there's that he came up in later years he was he showed some very surprising flexibility about what about accepting certain things that i don't think he would have accepted like like a friend of mine has a, has a has a classic story about about meeting Barry and hearing him play and t- sitting and talking with him you know young musicians at a break at the club he was playing in and like Maiden Voyage comes on or something like that and he says see that's what I'm talking about that's not music you know that's just you know like that's not playing you know it's like I mean there's echoes of that that in 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 thing in most cherished documents like that giant steps video that he, on mm-hmm. YouTube. Have you ever seen that, that one from that series mm-hmm. of things that he did when he, when he was, you know, he, he used to go to Den Haag every year and do those workshops. And, and it's so great that they, they, that they memorialize those things, you know, but there's there's like, I play that for all my students. And, and part of what, and part of what I say is like, you have to realize that this is not, the only way to think, but it's one way to think. And so mm. you should experience it in a very purest kind of form. It's like, I, I think that, I think like, like you should be, you should be, be, be a purist, but be a pluralist about it. Mm. So in other words, if you're playing B, if you're, if it's, if it's really bebop to do it like that, if you're playing Latin music, don't play B, you know, I mean, I mean, you want to play. You want to know what it's what it's like to play that form in its in its in its pure, authentic, within its parameters, yeah. right? So so then you have to accept that people are going to be you know keepers of the of the respective flames that that is are not gonna not gonna say you know like like you know you know are not gonna accept things certain things as being as being like of you know part of the of the you know the essence of what of what of what they're you know what they're doing and stuff like Mm. that but i mean but you can but you can put that all together yourself that's you that's you you know so that's when you get to your own music you know yeah that's really good i like the word you use there in terms of like experiencing something in the in the purity of what it is because you kind of 
I think have to then in some ways almost like quote unquote submit to it. You, like you, you have to really digest it, really absorb it, treat it like it is the thing. And then as you mentioned, if you do that with a lot of different things then you, you develop this ability to be really well-rounded. Yeah. And I, and I think also you, also you develop a, t- a sense of taste, you know, like, like, which is very, very important, I think, you know, to you, to, you know, you, I mean, I think, I think submitting to certain things helps you hone your own natural instincts too, as contradictory as that might sound, mm. you know, and I would, I, I, I totally agree with the way that you're putting it. I mean, to me, it's not, it's never like, like submitting, well, maybe it is a little bit, but, but, you know, you know, it's just that, you know, when, if you get around, if you get around those masters, you know, and, 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 and then even play with them, then you just need to be very, you know, you know, again, it's like, like really get behind the surface of, of what they're doing. It can be hard to do. I mean, you know, being a young musician and I can think of, I can think of many, many sins that I committed, you know, in terms of, you know, you know, it's like, yeah, but I want to get my stuff out, you know, you know, mm. you know, like in certain, in certain situations and stuff. I mean, but, mm. but I think, I think, I think practically speaking, it's really a good idea for, for a musician building a career to cultivate the ability to, you know, play within the parameters of a certain musical situation and, and find a way for, for them, you know, them to get some satisfaction out of it and play themselves. Yeah. You know, you know, if you give, if you give, if you give the band leader what they want while getting a little bit of what you want, then perfect. You're, you know, you're going to, you're going to be, you're going to be, um, you won't have to have a day gig. Well, and then I think the music becomes, it's living, it's breathing, it's alive. It's not this thing that, uh, as you're saying, you study for the sake of studying it or something. It's like you live it out. It's it's part of you and you're able to do your own thing within it, you know? Mm-hmm. A discussion I have a lot with 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 fellow musicians is about training and what kind of training is optimal, you know, and and, and it seems like a lot of a lot of a lot of uh, people agree with me when I say that like I'd rather get bet I'd like to like you know hone my skills in 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 being able to do things without preparation. Hmm. You know, in other words, hmm. in other words, I don't want to have to like shed something for three months before I play a before I play a gig or go to the record session. I just want to hmm. I just want to be better at like, you know, the first draft. Right. You know, hmm. you know, so I think I think skills like sight reading music, obviously, but also being able to to sight read changes and, and so on. But but more than anything else listening to a whole lot of music and playing a whole lot of music, different kinds of music with different people. So you can, you can pull the, the essence out of a piece of music, like immediately. The, the, playing with Phil Woods's band was like that a lot because, 
because it was it was a it was a band that had a very large book. It it always continually new charts coming in, but but a, but more than that, there was always there was a real pride in in being able to to you know we would routinely sight read sight read new music on a gig or even in a recording studio and 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 be able to okay you know this is how it sounds by the time you're out of the head you know how it sounds and and then you play accordingly you know it's like yeah. i mean um you know it's it it was really it's it's a certain it's a certain kind of skill it, and it's a and a certain kind of certain you know it's a certain that was a certain kind of epitome of 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 musicians who could do that you know you know just you know people all those guys were so erudite in, in music Phil certainly was you know or somebody like Bill Charlap or you know or or Steve or Bill you know Goodwin um, all had knew so much music that they could always like right away here's what that is you know yeah so. I wanted to ask you uh, a little bit about your experiences with Horace and Art Blakey. And specifically, I mean, I'm sure that those experiences you still think to this day are some of the most foundational yeah. experiences you've had. Um, Absolutely. But I'm wondering, like, what are some specific ways that getting to play with each of them in those bands changed you as a player like how did you change by working with them well horace horace's gig was 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 one of my first like you know you know kind of um you know significant you know like associations i mean certainly it was it would you know like that sense of um of of you know that you're making it on onto the stage with a name band, especially a small group, right? And and I had also started playing with Toshiko Akiyoshi's band around that time, and you know, so I was you know getting I was getting some getting the best of of both worlds with that, and by the way, also playing with some great Latin bands too in New York. So I was having quite a you know quite a, a well-rounded kind of you know apprenticeship through those things. Horace's band, I mean, yeah, it was just being being able being able to get out there, you know, you know, um I I mean meeting one of one of the, one of the most my most significant colleagues, you know, and frontline partners Ralph Moore in that band and you know starting that association um playing that music, you know, um being able to really stretch out. I mean, that was a band that you could you could Definitely, he he will give you he would give you enough rope to hang yourself and more, you know. And so yeah. so making sure you don't hang yourself, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean it was really, you know. I mean, you know, getting getting a certain amount of a certain amount of recognition, a certain amount of scrutiny, also. And you know, it was it was a way it was a, it was a way to um, to get you know. Um, a lot of experience, a lot of experience playing, you know. So you say scrutiny, um, scrutiny from Horace or from scru- other people? Scrutiny from or? Horace, scrutiny from other people. You know, you go around and, you know, you know, we'd be playing opposite arts band, you know, and, and, and we, you know, we'd be checking each other out and stuff like that. And, you know, um, I know that, I know that art was, you know, I got a, I, 
someone tells me that I got a call to make the band the sub on the band like during that period, but I never, but it never got to the point where I got a phone call on it. Maybe they were asking about me, and but I was, oh yeah, he's out with Horace or something like that. So I mean, there's a sense that I was maybe a little bit in into that stream of where you know I was being considered for different things and and so on and so forth. You know, and getting I think it had some opportunities to record. I mean, I think it helped facilitate you know getting a record date of my own. Which happened happened in, in a little bit after I left the band, but but all the same, you know, kind of was an outgrowth of of that of of that experience, and you know, even even recording some of his music on my first record, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious, like, what were some of the things that Horace scrutinized in your playing? Or I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it was like all that, and you know, like he would analyze things all that much i mean he sometimes sometimes he'd say things to you like you sounded really great here but when you got here it wasn't you know you guys you guys kind of let me down a little bit or something like that and we couldn't quite figure out what what it was you know i mean you know it it you know maybe it was just a matter of 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 you know road fatigue or you know, again, like young players can get a little bit, can sometimes get a little bit moody, you know, and stuff like that. I mean, it was, you know, um, I think, I think that, um, he wanted, you know, he wanted a certain, he wanted a certain thing. And, and most of the time I felt like we were giving him that, you know, but, but, um, Perhaps you know. I mean, yeah. I'm trying to think of what he actually said. I know one thing he said that was that it seemed like it seemed like one time in the middle of a sound check, he just turned to me and said, "Damn, you sounded just like KD." Like and like, Horace Silver is telling me I sounded just like KD. So that might have been my that might have been the high point of the whole thing, right? <laughs> you know, I would say, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you know, um, um. I mean, I look, I look, I look back, I look back on 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 those days and what I was playing, and I, and I think I played good. I mean, I think I could have, you know, maybe maybe would have been a little bit, you know, I might have I might have tried to like stretch out a little bit less because we we both everybody played really long solos. In, the, in that band he did too more than anybody else mm. so in other words there there is a sense of like how far you can you stretch the thing right and yeah. and you know um um something that by the time i got to art blakey's band i think i was a little bit more i mean there wasn't as you couldn't stretch out quite as long in that band because there were more players in the band for one thing but but also just the just just the whole the whole um you play too long you'd be flattened like a pancake by his by the intensity of his playing unless you unless you're really playing great which which i mean i experienced it a few times where it's like almost like you're playing the pinball machine and you actually get into you get into extra you know extra balls or extra points or something like that because because you're lucky and everything goes into the right holes and and that and that would happen and so then then the things would then then you'd start hearing these things that you had only heard on those records it would start it would start sounding like you know like 
like like the like the um, ninth or tenth chorus of of Freddie playing the promised land on that on that three blind mice record, you know, like like mm. just you know it would it would get it would get a little iconic at that point, you know, wow. you know. I mean, Horace's band, I think, felt iconic when when we were playing certain things. Like you know, like the older, like the, some of the older material. If you play Senor Blues, or and, and actually playing playing a song from my father often was a mm. made, felt real or Nika's Dream, you know. But we were always playing new music too, and, and and you know, I think that that's another thing. I appreciate, I think, even more than ever what he was doing with his new music. He was writing great tunes, you know, during mm. during that time. Not just playing the hits that everybody knew. Oh no, no, oh not at all. And you know, he had his own record label before anybody, and he was selling those records at the at the concerts, and he wanted to play the music that were on these records. You know, you know, he was he was he wasn't he wasn't you know he wasn't too interested in like just playing his his. I mean, he he played enough of them. You know, that's really good. Um, maybe as a follow up question to this. I guess one of the things that I uh, talk to a lot of students about is they share how many experiences they have listening back to their own playing, whether it be from a gig or from whatever they're doing, and you know feeling upset with it and feeling like they're they're not happy with it, and I'm wondering if there were certain points for you in your career at that point whether it was playing with Horace or Art or, or another band where you felt like you had similar moments or or moments that were really challenging for you and how you came out of them well I mean I think in a way who doesn't right I mean you know um, I mean one story one story I tell I tell um, I tell often is like when I did when I played on on my first um I guess you call it my first like like significance. Well, actually, my first small group jazz record, and and that was something with Jim Snydero, great alto player, who was again like my you know partner in Toshiko's band, and 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 uh, and uh, he re- did his first record for a Japanese label that Toshiko produced, and with with myself and with uh, with Kenny Kirkland, Billy Hart, and uh, George Mraz. And um, we recorded at Rudy Van Gelder's studio, so all these things are happening and stuff, right? So, so you know, in Rudy Rudy Van Gelder's for the first time, playing with these great musicians, and you know, and and Jim and I played together, and we were incessant, you know. I mean, to this day, is if you, you can hear some of this on my on my latest record, which which we, where we re, reunite again, playing some of my own music. It's like the, you know, all those years that we we spent. It's like like comes back in a snap, and it's just it's just, it's just like you know that we have a ridiculous ridiculously good blend together and, and ability to phrase. If I do say so myself, but but getting back to this this record, the you know, and this is two track direct to tape, you know, and 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 um, still analog tape at that point. Uh, I don't think he had. He he had had the digital uh, reel to reel installed by the time I did my first record in there, which was about I think maybe two years later. So anyhow, first so we play the first 
take of the first cut in the record. I think it was some, you know, that tune Tyrone, mm-hmm. the uh-huh. very young blues that's on the that record called Into Something. Mm-hmm. You know, three, yep. three, four blues. Okay, and and so play the tune. Go into the go into the control room to listen to the playback. Playback goes on, and Rudy had these like huge speakers, right? You know, which was kind of a problem sometimes because there was so much bass response in those speakers. I think he would like turn down the bass too much on some recordings, you know, mm-hmm. if you if you didn't like play around with them a little bit. Um, but but when I heard myself on that first playback, I realized everything had to change about my playing immediately. Wow. Everything was messed up about, oh, my God. It was just, what are you trying to do? Stop it now. Okay. And so, and I tell, and I tell, my, I tell my students or I tell, tell people about this in master classes or whatever it is. It's like, it was like, that was like a year of school in like three minutes, man. And we went out and did it again right away. And, man, I, I, I managed to pull it together, you know. And, and so, you know, a, a real strong lesson about, about like, about like playing for real, not, mm-hmm. and not playing, not playing wishful thinking about like what you, what you, you know, like what, what you're, you're, you're trying to like redefine, you know, the, the jazz trumpet in some, with, some way that is just not going to happen right you know you know whatever it is right you know so you know don't you know it's like like you know it's like um my man spinal tap about you know go turning up to 11 when you really want to just jump off the cliff well this was jumping off the cliff without even like an amplifier right you know so so anyhow so things like that that was you know, but knowing that knowing so so listening is very important. Now I had there was no time for me to have a nervous breakdown and like and go into a go into a deep clinical depression and all that kind of stuff. It's like something had to happen right there, right? So great. So you can do that. Other times you can be, you know, it can be real it can be really a drag. I mean, so so another so another thing, another great moment was recording with the messengers and we pl- and we played something and there was like a clam on the head on one of the one of the cuts you know and also in Rudy's again and like and somebody says hey hey boo like uh, like you know we we kind of we kind of messed up we kind of messed up on the head going up you know do should we do another one or an insert or something art said nah leave it in let your grandchildren know what a sad motherfucker you were. Okay. So, <laughs> and then it's like, okay. Right. Wow. Okay. Well, that's thus, thus shall it be. Right. You know, Mike but, but I mean, in other words, you know, you know, I mean, there's, you have to kind of realize how, how, you know, how subjective you can be with yourself. Mm. but you can be also objective with yourself so you know i mean or or in other words you know you could also say well fooled them again right you know it's like that sounds great okay you know and then but but um um 
I think that I think that you have to kind of get used to listening to yourself. And one thing that I one thing that I did is like I always waited too long to listen. You know, like mm. like I would rec- especially practicing. Record yourself practicing and then put it away for a rainy day. That's not going to happen. The, the 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 only the the proper use of of a recording device in in working on your music is to play something and immediately play it back and review it. Mm. Correct. See, that's good yeah and then they do it again it's like it's so then you're kind of teaching yourself that way you know it's like you know you know like like brian number one the student plays something and then brian number two the teacher says no and then then try it but then but then you have to have an objective attitude about it right you know i mean i think that that when when we get used to being teachers you know, then we, then we, we feel like, I feel like that's made myself more, it's made me more forgiving of myself in a lot of ways, mm. you know, so then I can kind of stay out of that, you know, you know, we were, you know, I have some students right now that are reading Inner Game of Tennis, which is like a great throwback to, to, to my youth. And, and again, that was a bit of a religion for a lot of us, you know, back in, yeah. back you know, in, in, in the 1980s as, as young. It musicians. was for me when I got to college. I mean, that was, that was one of the first books I read and it was, it changed everything about the way I thought about my playing. Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. It's like all of a sudden you say, Oh, you mean I can't lose because making mistakes is good and not making mistakes is good. Right. You know, it's like, this is great. You know, yeah, of course, right, you, right. of course you forget that every day. So you was totally, you know, it's almost like you have to have like, like you have to have a, like a summary of the book taped to the bell of your horn, mm. <laughs> like right there totally. when, you're, when you're citing it, you know, citing down the horn, you know, Yeah. but, but yeah, I mean, you know, um, I mean, it's, it's what's, I think it's always funny to hear yourself say, if you, if you hear yourself on, on, on the, on the radio or, you know, or streaming or whatever it is, and you don't recognize yourself right away and it sounds good until you know it's you. And then all of a sudden it doesn't sound good. What does that say? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we probably get in our own way too much, you know, from a subjective point of view, like you said. Yeah. And, and but I think also a truism is, is like usually the things that the things that you dislike the most about your own playing are the things that are make you the most distinctive as a player. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so I you have to kind totally of come agree. to terms with that. You know, embracing kind of your own limitations or quote unquote flaws, even though they're they're not flaws or maybe just personality. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, everybody, every, but I mean, that doesn't mean you shouldn't, you shouldn't like want to keep, you know, keep developing and, and like, you know, and, and, you know, thinking like, well, yeah, well, that's, it's cool what I do, but like, you know, but, but maybe if I, maybe if I worked on this part of it a little bit, I'd feel it's really a, what, what is, what's the, what's the goal here to go. One of, one of my, one of my, uh, one of my mentors, biggest mentors, Buddy Montgomery about the last time that I saw him in person, um, uh, when he was in, he was actually in New York and he, and he, and he stayed, he stayed, he was there for a few days and he stayed at, at, at our, at, at our apartment. This is when David Hazeltine and I were, were roommates. And, um, and, and it was fantastic having our idol around just sort of, sort of chilling. And he, and he played the piano for us and like, did just, it was incredible. And, but he said one thing to me, he said, 
The thing about it is, Brian, I feel comfortable when I play. And for the rest of it, well, we can always use a little bit more money. We, you know, all, you know, all, mm. you know, and that's it. I mean, so the primary thing is to feel comfortable when you play. So yeah, mm. working on that. That's what you know. You can, you can, you can become, you can become comfortable. And I think in a lot of different ways. And I think, I think, I think to be daring enough to kind of allow yourself to not try to, you know, you can never master everything, right? So if you keep on doing that, you're going to be perpetually just, just like drug with your playing, you know, and and if you kind of Okay, well, this is me, and this and this is where and this is where it is. Yes, and I do do this, but it's fine. A lot of things can open up for you when when you when you when you do that. You know, I mean, you know, also also in finding a, a distinctive way to play. I I'm going to ask you a question right back. Do you feel like this is something that's that's hard for harder for young young musicians to do now than, than than it was like you know say 10 15 or 20 years ago or is it the same maybe it's just a different a different a different conformity of playing i notice all i notice most of my best players they they gravitate towards a certain style of playing and i think and and they're killing you know, at the same time, I I want them to be I want them to 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 be distinctive. I don't want anybody to be be I I don't want anybody to be saying, oh yeah, he's just trying to do this. I want them to be I want them to be genuinely mystified about what they're doing. You know, mm. even if even if an astute observer or somebody who knew them well enough and knew know what they are listening to, you know understood understood stood like what um you know what what were what the influences were you know yeah and but i mean like but i but it seems like everybody that i know and you know I, and I've, I've had the opportunity to like like interact and even like teach a lot of these players that that themselves have had this influence the ones that do that are the ones that everyone tries to imitate right <laughs> I, I sort of wonder how they feel about that yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it, that's a really deep question. It makes me think about how, you know, to really be distinctive in your playing, you have to be really informed because you can't just create something unique in a bubble, right? It ha it has to come from something else, but it has to be a very intentional, conscious decision to play a certain way and to do things a certain way. And that takes a lot of courage, you know, I mean, I, I think... It, you really have to uh, kind of believe so much in what you're doing that you're willing to lay it all out there. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know. Yeah, and but but also negotiate what we were just talking about about your own personal tendencies and even like you know you know things that things that are you know you know like like that are, are your strong points and maybe, you know, you know, not so strong points into that too. You know, I mean, yeah. um, I always, I always feel like, I always feel like that, 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 um, certain, certain players are really smart about understanding 
like where there's a where there's a place to be in you know what i mean that that's that's like oh so and so like you know you know it's like you can't say that you know there's there's, there's like there's like an opening there's space there's space for that style you know mm-hmm. In, in in things like that you know it's like totally. and yeah. and when there's space for your style and the, and and you could really play too i mean you can't just have style without 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 like you know you know all the rest of it right, right if there's right. if there's a space for it then then like i think that you're going to i don't know i think i think it's going to i think it's going to be recognized as as in one way or another, maybe just by the sure. connoisseurs, but all the same, you know. Sure. No, I, I totally hear you. you know. That's a good, that's really good. One of the last things I wanted to ask you about or sort of open up the conversation to for a second is um, just some of the things that you work on most with your students. I mean, I hear so many folks that get to study with you and they sound really great. And so I know they're coming in great musicians, really eager to to work with you. I'm sure you experienced that, but I'm wondering like, what are some of the most common things that you work on with your students to help them elevate what they're doing? Well, I mean, I think, you know, you know, it's always evolving. Right. But I, but I, but I, but I think, I think, I mean, certainly, certainly using the repertoire to, you know, to to kind of activate your technique and 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 your and your pursuit of technique, but then I've always you know I've always been big on on you know um, finding exercises and things that can fulfill just like this like I see you you do you know like f- can fulfill a musical and a technical function at the same time. Um, 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 I want them. What I what I find is like like what I what, what I find is like for, so for instance, like if if somebody is pretty talented, got a good ear, you know, listens to the music, comes in, you know, he or she has taken off taken taken off, you know, like like a, a lot of solos and stuff like that, and and can identify with you know you know there's a kind of ear that can kind of identify with 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 the totality of 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 the music, not just in a surface way. In other words, they got they they got a vibe from that, right? You know, so all those things are happening, but but they but but and so so they can sound really, you know, really accomplished with that. But then then but then like but there's the consistency is in in is is not there up to the level where they can play when they have this strong sound sonic identification with something. You know, you know, so like, and, and my feel, my, my feeling is, is like, even if natural talent will never get you all the way, you mm, know, totally. you got to have more than that. And so, and you have to find out what part of it. And, and also natural talent is very fungible in terms of like what, you know, what, you know, it can be, it, it's not just, it's not just like having a good ear, you know what I mean? I mean, you know, of course, memory is a big part of it, but also, but also the, you know, maybe some people might be a little bit strong, you know, like, like in a way naturally stronger in, in terms of like, the, you know, a theoretical thing and knowing how to, how to figure out, you know, you know, distances like, you know, also, you know, you know, they'll, they'll use their, 
natural or natural ability will will come from a little bit different place. So you always have to kind of figure out where where the you know work on the weak points and bring the weak points up. But 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 to me, like getting consistency in in your in your playing. I mean, definitely, I think sound is really important. I mean, I can get down to some really nitty gritty things. It's like you know, being able being able to play being being able to play lip slurs across like two or more partials without playing the notes in between. That's always a nice thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and something that something that is as as I'm sure you sure you you discover every semester can be inexplicably quite a challenge. The players yeah. the players that are doing it all the time. If it's a matter of like. You know, playing, playing, you know, playing a certain player solo that has wide leaps in it. You know, they can do it on the solo. They can't. They can't do it. They can't do it off. You know, they can't do Schlossberg thirty-one. You know, mm. or, or or they, you know, they isolated on its own, kind of. You know. Yeah. Well. But also, but also understand why it under understand why it's important. You know, important to be able to play intervals. You know, not you know, I mean, not just not just because somebody told them that. Oh yeah, I'm pl- you should play like the octave drills in Schlossberg or something like that. But also that 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 octave is you know octave is a musical delineator and like you know you think about that think think about think about that octave or a sixth or a fourth or a fifth or. Or, or you know whatever it is, in a sense of like that's a musical determinant. You know that that, that it's like you know you know I'm 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 learning the the materials of spontaneous composition and slow motion, and 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 and, and contemplating them through the acquisition of technique. And that sounds pretty good, actually. I like that's that. really good. I yeah. like that. Oh my god. <laughs> Um, but, but, um, you know, so yeah, um, scale exercises, the ability to like really, really play in keys, all of them, (laughs) you know, so, so in other, so in other words, like, you know, I want to, I want to hear, you know, I want to hear all the triads. I want to hear all the seventh chords. I want to hear all the, you know, you know. You know, I want to hear all the diatonic turns. I want to hear, you know, you know what I mean? It's like, like, uh, you know, like I want to hear all the, all the, all the interval cycles, you know, you know, major thirds, minor thirds, major seconds, fourths, up and down, you know, all those kind of things that, that, that you get, you get a real technique out of. I mean, Mm. all like, the, the you know the upper register needs to be open, not veiled. Mm. You know, you know. I mean, opening opening that up is kind of important. Mm-hmm. You know, totally. You know, um, th- you know, being 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 um, cognizant of real music skills, like being able to read, being able to like like you know in you know in play things like etudes and do the right articulations and not just hack through them and and mm. so on. I mean, I'm I'm kind of more bigger on etudes like these days than maybe I was like 10 years ago or it's with my students or something like that and I and I mm. and I think I think they're really important. What I really wish though is that we should all be writing, you know, like things that fulfill those functions but 
I mean, sometimes I almost feel like B. Sure, Charlie actually is jazz, right? You know, because totally. because because yeah. there is that little that little French thing going on, and they got melodic minor scales, and of course B. Sure's got all the got all the hexatonics and like you know some fourths and so on and so forth. You know, mm-hmm. you know, reminds me of the story about that I heard from um, from somebody. I think Paul Ayak, maybe one of the guys who used to hang around Woody a lot. You know. And he said that Woody Woody Shaw um, had got a got a got a classical pianist that he knew to record all the accompaniments to the Hindemith wind sonatas, and he would just blow over them. That's killing! Wow. <laughs> well, he was quite a Hindemith. I mean, you know, you know, Hindemith sounds like him. You know, Ben Bartok. You know, I mean. You know, yeah. and I and I, wow. and I and I I I totally um, I totally advance the idea that they were actually were listening to Woody Shaw, not the other way around. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's it's the way it's the way I experience it. You know, but yeah. I mean, but I mean, you know that that you know Woody Shaw is a great example of somebody who who like just got a ridiculous technique together from practicing the materials of his own musical language. And if you if you've ever heard any any of any any you know recordings of him like like you know you know practicing or giving a master class or anything like that there's like, yeah you know the, the um, there you can you can hear that you know you know yeah but, totally but I mean but I mean I think they all did that I you know I I really do feel that that playing bebop's important as a as a foundation of of playing what i always say is like you don't have to play this way but if you but if you can play this way it's going to make the way that you want to play you want to play better yeah and 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 don't take it from me i mean i mean it's my observation from from like numerous like you could say like modern or progressive players that i heard like like miguel xenon is a great example all the stuff he's playing he plays just like bird you know Mm -hmm. like like, like he, um, you know, he can play right, right in, you know, it's like, there's no, you know, there's, it's not pro forma, you know, it's like, 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 you know, that, 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 that they really respect, he really respects it for what it is. Not as like, just like, oh, well, well, I don't have to worry about this too much because I'm, because I've, I've transcended that. I don't think you can ever, you know, it's, it's like. It's like, you know, you, you always learn something new from like playing a Bach, you know, violin partita or something like that. You know, it's like it's always a challenge. Same thing with same thing with Charlie Parker's music. I'm I'm very big on, on like learning, learning um, certain things on all 12 keys and 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 really taking it apart and making it into objects of of not just being able to do that, but to take, you know, take all the little pieces apart and really use them. Like you know, you like get some ownership in terms of in terms of like you know, part of your language. You know, and and, and I think and I think you know Charlie Parker heads, especially a lot of the blues heads, are really good ex- good examples of things that really you know, really um, you know, are extremely helpful in that in that in that sense. And also in yeah. terms of like you know, if you play a bird tune and make it into a Conconi study, take out all the rests and, and replace them with long notes. You've got you've got some very interesting you know note connections and things to, and things to things to to um, you know to to um, negotiate. So you know, yeah. I think we get a lot of great methodologies from from the from the traditional methods. It's applying them to 
to our music. I'm wondering if you um, work on articulation with your students in any particular way, like jazz articulation. Um, I, what I usually, or even how you went about practicing it too. Well, well, well for me, for me, it's like, I mean, for me, it's like, I mean, I, I always, I, I always say, well, the, the place to start is to get a good, get a good legato articulation going, you know? And, and so you can, you know, you know, like, you know, it's kind of kind of like some people like what Gerard Presenter calls super tenuto, and you know, you know, um, in mm. in his book, for instance, you know, just the idea of that there's no note endings, just note beginnings, right? You know, mm. that kind of thing. Ooh, I like that. I had, I had a teacher, my teacher in high school, um, took me through the Saint Jacome book, and we went through all that portato tonguing on the sound stuff, and he he was a Vacchiano student, and and um, 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 was very, you know, um, you know, cognizant of, of of that stuff. I'm really glad that he, and I think he understood that that I, you know, that this would be useful for jazz playing. So I, so I think that's a place to start. You know, I mean, I mean, I, I've, I've kind of, you know, you know, I've been very much into into imparting with my students too, also using using breath accents with. With with a light tongue too to kind of kind of keep things propelled and going and also just you know yeah. getting the ability to really to really you can you know you can keep the um, I always I always talk like well you know it's like the battles between your air and a tongue and the air has always got to win right you know so so um, with that in mind so I think my normative thing is like I want I want to hear a long legato say eighth note or quarter note but with a lot of but with a with some front to the note so so to do that um you know practicing scale exercises i would you know all slurred all single-tongued um so-called bebop articulation right but i also like tongue you know tongue i call it tonguing on the corners you know like in, in, in groups of four, dot d, dot dot, right? So the, the yeah. corners being there, I always feel like that's a good way to get your tongue speed up. Um, you know, burst tonguing. You know, like you know, play one beat, rest seven; play two beats, rest six. You know, that kind of stuff. You know, um, I'll have my students like actually blow bass lines for the quarter note part part of it. You know, but but try to get a real front to the note. You mm. know, there, like there's that. a like like it's a for instance there's right. like the, you know the you know the beginning of blue spring shuffle by Kenny Dorham where there's like 12 bars of pc playing out in front so so i had had a yeah. had some of my students like like transcribe that so that that and be able to play it in all 12 keys and use it for use it as an articulation exercise playing bass lines are really great for that you know in all honesty if and when I can ever take a sabbatical, I just kind of want to go study with you. For oh a God! No, come on. <laughs> Seriously, man. I mean, I, I mean, and maybe it's just part of me also that as a teacher, I'm, I'm really fascinated by how to become a, the best teacher I can be for my students, uh, to to be able to help them in all the ways that they need to. But I'm just fascinated by, you know the role of a jazz trumpet teacher. What are the things we can do and work on? And it's it's really interesting to hear you talk about all this. 
one because I I feel like I resonate with a lo- with a lot of what you're saying, but also but I think you do. Uh, yeah. It's just your experiences having played with the people you've played with and and playing in the way that you do. It speaks for itself enough that all the things you're talking about, it's like, man, yes, we got to do that. We got to do that. We got it's. I, I'm just thoroughly enjoying the the shop talk thank, amongst oh, thank you. fellow teachers. You know. I can't even remember a lot of what they said to me. What I can remember is how they sounded. Mm. Like, like you know, I don't know. Mm. I don't know. I don't know if, like, you know, I mean, I won't name any names, but I've, you know, and, I, and I'm studying mostly. I'm, te- I'm talking. The only one I could say who I really were were the concepts part of it really, really stuck and rub rubbed off with me. Like is is prof was prof, you know, hmm. and I went and studied with him much later, because I just I wanted to get a few lessons from him, you know. Yeah. But but I mean all those sayings and everything, like I can remember those really well. And so he had a real, maybe it's just because he was the kind of person I wanted, you know, that I felt like I could really kind of kind of you know, you know, still at this point, like yes, master, you know. What I mean, yeah. I yeah, think, yeah. So I think it's again, it's 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 important to submit a little bit to a teacher, you know, and and and, and well, and, but even what you're saying about hearing your teachers play, it's like it goes back to what you were saying earlier about listening and how crucial it is to hear the sound of something and and react to it. You know, like I find the same thing with my students and and. I don't know. I, I, I can really resonate with that experience because I think in general, maybe one thing I'm observing is that a, a lot of folks are oversaturated in terms of what to listen to. And sometimes the level of concentration and focus and just kind of like zoning out to the music doesn't maybe happen as much. And so in lessons, being able to play back and forth I find that a lot of times if I can give an example of something and it's halfway decent, like you said, then it it allows them to have, to have this experience of like, oh, okay, that's how it's supposed to sound. That's what you got to do. That's what that's what you have to do. And 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 sometimes it just has to be a matter of like, okay, listen, we're both trying to learn how to play here, okay? So so like like and I'm telling you, it's like, you know, and I'm going to tell you what, if I'm, if I'm trying to show you something and it's not happening for me, I'm going to tell you, you know, like, you know, you know, but I'm say, saying like, oh, here's how I'm supposed to sound. Uh, well, hold on a second, right? You know, or whatever, or whatever it is, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I, and I think that can be, that can be, that can, that can make, that can, you know, sometimes you just, I feel like kind of like breaking down if there's a wall of some sort, you know. Yeah. Then, then, then it's then, then, then it's good to, you know, if you can, if you can be a little vulnerable in your teaching and like accept and and, and bring that in a little bit. Man, I can't really imagine a better way to kick off season two than with that conversation. It's kind of crazy how much ground we covered. I mean, Brian hit on so much stuff. And there were so many amazing anecdotes and stories and practical application stuff that, frankly, like makes me just want to hit the shed and just go practice. So thanks so much, Brian. It was a blast 
getting to hang and chat with you. Thanks so much for sharing all that you did with, with all of us. All right. Episode two comes out in two weeks. It'll feature a great conversation with the incredible Jeremy Pelt. You don't want to miss it. Again, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please do so wherever you're checking it out. That'll make it so that you get that episode as soon as it drops in two weeks. It's good to be back with you guys. Thanks for checking the podcast out. We'll see you in a couple weeks. <laughs>